This is a show about my heroes and their legacies. The legacies they're making and the ones they're breaking. These are their stories of successes and failures. These are their journeys. This is their legacy. This is Successor. And so today I have a very special guest. I'm very appreciative of her uh, showing up today. Her name is Shandy Michelle. She's the founder and CEO of Freewell. Now, Freewell is changing the game in how people use personal care products, creating tactical and sustainable personal care staples designed for the busy and active human. Freewell believes all should live free and well, not only in their routines, but for those who have their freedoms taken away. And with this mission, they donate 1% of all revenue to help survivors of human trafficking to get back on their feet post-rescue. Wow. Well, Shandy, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm already having so much fun. Absolutely. <laughs> we haven't even started. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, um, thanks for making your way all the way out to this uh, little studio here. Uh, I'd love to just really uh, get into a couple things. One about your business, another about kind of you personally, your backstory, and really how those things tie into your company mission and, and what you define as the legacy you'd like to leave. And so I'd, I'd really like to get into Freewell. Right. And um, I know that people can visit you at livefreewell.com. Yep. Right. That's yep. uh, just the simple words livefreewell.com. Uh, so if you have the opportunity to check out that website and then tune back in. But um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the, the line of products and, and kind of how that came to be. And, uh, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, as some people build businesses, sometimes they don't even have the intention to build something. It just kind of happens. And this was the case with Freewell. So about six years ago, I had a client of mine that was going through a, a lot of hormonal issues and her hair was thinning. And uh, my esthetician at the time, you know, said, well, I heard castor oil can help your, put it on your brows to make them grow. And I obviously don't have an eyebrow issue. Um, so when she came in, <laughs> I said, well, try this. You know, if it works on your eyebrows, I'm sure it works on your hair. And she's like, Shandy, it's too thick. I can't get it on my scalp and all that. So I just kind of made a concoction for her and she came back and her hair was twice as thick. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And so I started writing that telling all my clients to go make this formula at home that I saw that were going through different reasons for hair thinning, hair loss. And um, I mean, that can range from like being postpartum to stress to hormonal issues. Um, wow. And so through that process, I then I had a different business and it was like a beauty tech business. And my job was to go and find the best providers in a given city and actually go in, review them, and then relay that information to customers and then ask that company to give a discount to my members. Wow. Um, through that process, I also would put my favorite products on there. That business was amazing because it really showed me what I need in a business to really be connected to it. But before I realized that, I had to put a product out every two weeks or some kind of a service. And I was literally 12 hours away from a release and I didn't have anything. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so I was like, I literally got on Canva. I printed um, out labels. I called the product Boss Gloss. I went on Amazon. I bought the ingredients and I got bought bottles off Amazon and I had a product in 12 hours. Wow. <laughs> and I just put it out there. And um, at that time, it was just two ingredients. And I, I had no point. I had no desire to make that into anything. I just needed to have something. But what ended up happening is 
people were like, I love this. And they started buying a second bottle and then a third bottle. And how can I find this? And I was like, huh, you know, and I was really having my come to Jesus moment with that company and realizing that it didn't serve a deeper purpose that I deeply needed Hmm. um, in a company. And during this time, I started also training for a triathlon and I was like, I'm not a girly girl. I'm a tomboy. And I was like really embracing that side of myself. And I was kind of like anti-beauty establishment. And, you know, I was really sick of hearing the industry talk about how women need to change everything. It, it was all these injections and fillers and eyelash extensions and all of that. And I, I just felt really yucky. As much as I wanted to help people with that other company, it, it wasn't feeling aligned with oh, me. Wow. And so when I had this product and I was training for a triathlon and my hair was feeling awful and I thought I was buying everything on the market to like help my hair when swimming and nothing was helping. And then I had this little product that I made sitting on my shelf and I had like, what if I put that on my hair before I swam? And I did. And then my hair felt amazing. And I was like, have we been doing this all wrong? (laughs) Deep conditioning in the shower and all that. And so I started to play around with the formula and I was swimming with like D1 college athletes and um, Olympians. And so I was like, well, if anybody's really hard on their hair, it's Olympic swimmers. So I was literally like handing them, I'm like this like little girl who's obviously in the slow lane that they probably even never see at practice, right? And I'm like, hi, will you guys just like try this product and tell me how you like it? And I kept giving it um, to them and reiterating it over and over and over again. And I, so I eventually came to the formula that we have now and I started playing with how you can use it. And what was amazing to me is I was able to create a product that essentially fit into a busy, active human's life versus remove them from life to kind of sit down and do this multi-step routine. Hmm. And, you know, I think in the beauty industry, we're like, oh, it's self-care when you sit and do a tissue mask or a hair treatment. And I didn't really feel like that. But self-care to me was getting in the pool at 5 a.m. and doing that for myself. Or it was meditating or it was going for a run or it was calling a friend that I knew was going through a hard time. And so, like, I wanted to redefine what self-care looked like. And Hmm. for me, this product just can tag along. Yeah. And yeah. it's been really cool. And um, now it's just kind of turned into what it is now, but that's how it started. So, wow. yeah. That's really cool. You know, and I, I kind of think you touched on something there about convenience, right? And, and yeah. that can be part of your self, self-care routine as well, right? Convenience. You know, we have, we have all these grab and go products. I'm hooked on them. You know, if I want to uh, pre-workout, something's almost ready to go almost instantly, <laughs> right? If I want to, yeah. if I want, you know, per, post-workout recovery, something's ready to go instantly. You know, so yeah. many, some of these products are, are geared that way, but self-care has very much been take time out of your day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes. And, and that's I love, that. I love that you uh, t- uh, talked about pre-workout because I joke that this is pre-workout for your hair because you literally <laughs> put it on before you work out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's really funny. That's cool. So uh, I'll say one thing that seems unique about your product, and um, we briefly touched on this, but typically with with product launches, you, you have an idea, you go to market research, you test it on a lot of different strangers, but it seems like a lot of yours was born out of relationships too, right? You had you had you you already started building relationships before you were going out to test market. Am I, am I did I hear that correctly? Um. Well, um, I do think that there is many ways to get to a finish line, right? Like, <laughs> um, and mine was. I just, I was like 
building it as it was happening. I was Mm -hmm. testing the market as I was building it. So I was selling it as version one already. And then I was reiterating it. So everybody, like literally people were buying different versions of it the first year because what I was really grateful for and is very rare is that people usually have to have a test group and they give it to this group of people and they try it and they give you their feedback. Well, I had a test group twice a week when I had my clients Mm -hmm. and I was seeing eight people a day. So I essentially had almost 20 people a week that were trying it and giving me their real feedback. Yeah. And that was really cool. So I was able to really reiterate this in real time. And we never had like an official launch. I just kind of like, I just kind of put it out there and I'm just building it as we go. And so again, it's, I think everybody has a different way to start, but the cool yeah. thing was, is I've had these deep relationships, like you said, where I have somebody that I've known their hair for 10 years. And then I give them this product and they've used it three times and I've never seen their hair look that good. Wow. And I'm blown away that this is my product that did that. Wow. To this day, I'll do a treatment and I'm like, this is crazy. Like, this is amazing <laughs> that this is mine. And it's so simple and it's so clean. And I mean, to be surrounded by so many products and to literally be like, this is, this is really how you can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So do, do you find that it would, would have been scarier being in the, in the situation where you're, where you're promoting and selling products to people you know or promoting and selling products to people that maybe you didn't know? I think for me, it's actually the people that I don't know. I'm a really good one-on-one person, you know? Like I, I actually love just sitting one-on-one with people. Yeah. Um, but I am also can get in front of a 200, 300 people and do public speaking. And it's really like always that fear of rejection, hmm. you know? And like I know that it works and I believe in it, but it's always like that, like, if I give it to this person and then they don't like it. So with the new market and getting it out there in the hands of people, you know, I'm, I'm literally in a season of my life where um, I'm having to make really good friends with rejection in many different ways. Hmm. And just how do I, how do I handle that? Hmm. And um, there's going to be people who are like, I just don't like it. But I, I do want to talk about the success of it because, um, because you're able to get, you know, real time, honest feedback. Yeah. Where do they tell you that your product is succeeding where others have maybe failed them in the past? What, what, what's different? The results. Yeah. That's it. Hmm. Um, I really don't think that you can sell a product that doesn't give people results. And that is what, that's all we need, you know, hmm. and people to actually come back and tell me like, this really changed my hair and I don't, I don't use dry shampoo anymore and um, I can never get my hair to grow or um, it, it's easy to fit into my schedule, but it really is based on results. And that is ultimately what you want for your customer is for them to use your product and then their life is just better after and whatever that way looks like, you know, as you as a company who's building a product. Well, yeah, um, it, it makes sense. I, I, I bet there's a lot of people out there that wish that they had, you know, <laughs> products that give results. Um, you know, it certainly <laughs> makes your job easier. You said you started Fixed with my whole life product. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask you, you said you started with two ingredients, two ingredients. Yep. How many are you up to now? Seven, seven. And we are going to leave it at that. So I actually just went through the whole process of like, you know, with as you as a brand is like maintaining your integrity and mm-hmm. I had labs, like we're ready to go to a manufacturer and start, because I, I still make the product hand by hand. Um, we're ready to go to a manufacturer and labs have been telling us, sorry, we don't want to 
um, you're going to have to add this other ingredient to mass produce it. Mm. And I, I was just like, I'm not willing to compromise there. And because I know this works and lo and behold, we finally pushed and we found a new manufacturer who was like, give us some time. We're going to figure out a way to make this happen. And I just found out this week that they found a way to make it without having to change our formula. And I think that that's a great lesson is to just like never give up on your integrity and just try to like really stay true to your brand and who you are. And um, as I make all of our future products, you know, our, our goal is to actually keep it minimal ingredients that people can read our label and actually know what they're putting on their body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. I love that. I mean, some of my favorite products have kind of kept it simple. You know, I think, well, to say that Apple has kept it simple, you know, in, in as far as an interface, right? Yep. You, you know what you're getting. You know what you get when you open mm-hmm. up the package. You yeah. know whether or not an app is going to work. You know, whereas you know, competitors said, let's 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 do everything. They said, no, let's do these few things really, really well. Yep. You know, and um, so I, I have an affinity for products like that. Uh, well, you're my in- customer, honestly. <laughs> you really are. Like we, we're a type of p- person, you know, like we're driven, active people. Mm-hmm. And I don't need a bunch of things. I, I need efficiency. Yeah. And I, I build these products for efficiency. Like we did joke that we're strong enough for the professional athlete, but made for the everyday, busy, active human. And you said something earlier about your products and like guys have had three in one products forever. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to make this for women now too. Like our products are for men and women, but girls, like we need three in one, you know? Yeah, yeah it's it's certainly convenient, but, uh, you know, it, it takes up uh, less shelf space. But, you know, I I think that the three in one products that I have used are not, are not great products. I also can't pronounce half the ingredients. Exactly. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, that's where we really are distinct in the industry is, mm-hmm. You know, I can have a chemist tell me, add all these different ingredients. And I'm like, no, (laughs) our rule is this. And this is how we operate. Like these are our our standard operating procedures. And we're going to find a way to make it work. I love it. You know, you talk about integrity. And I think that kind of plays into this next category, which is sustainability. Yeah. And I started doing a little bit of, let's call it high level research, but I'm a, I'm a little bit dumb on sustainability. I can get in the weeds and research this all, but I still don't always understand where everything goes, where everything comes from. You know, by the time I feel like I know, I've, I feel like I'm wrong. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit about what your um, mission is around sustainability, how your product is playing into that and, you know, how we can support that. I, I, I really think what you just shared is actually the, um, sentiment of a lot of people. Mm. It's, I don't really understand it. I don't know, really know what's happening. And that's kind of how we're looking at it. Um, like I said, our customer is the busy, active human. And the, the process of like holding a bottle, you know, you're about to get rid of it. And you have that little pain of anxiety of, do I recycle this or not? I don't know. And it's, it's kind of this feeling. <laughs> Have you had that before? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially at Whole Foods when there's like five different bins and I'm like, oh boy. I know. <laughs> I know. And, and so I, I pay attention to that because I'm, I'm that person too, where I love beautiful packaging and I buy a product and I love it when I buy it and I get that high, that it's beautiful. And then I get the low and the low is when I have to get rid of that product. Mm. And I feel guilty that I bought this product that is probably going to end up in a landfill. And so I really wanted to be the brand that you get that high from when you buy the product and it's beautiful and you like the way it looks on your counter, but then you, there is no time spent thinking, can I recycle this? Hmm. And the way we do that is with aluminum. 
And aluminum is infinitely recyclable. It's also extremely lightweight. So we have our aluminum refill, which we just launched two weeks ago. Um, and we hope that every every our whole model is that every initial bottle you buy is essentially like a lifetime bottle. We're even going to reiterate on this one and make this one um, even more durable, even more sustainable. Like we're kind of like we're on a budget right now. This is the best we can do at this stage. And so, but how do we keep improving that process? And, um, you know, for me, I also work in a salon and I see the shelves are just full of products. And I'm just like, I know that half of this, if not all of it is, well, what the data says is that 70% ends up in landfills. Hmm. And whether that's because of the confusion or whether it's just because it's not actually recyclable. And yeah. so I think just making it effortless for the consumer is the best, is one of the ways that we want to do that. That's really cool. You know, and I'll say, I, I love the, the sleek packaging. It's, it's simple. Uh, I, I, I prefer things that are not busy. It's why I always wear a black t-shirt all the time. Yes. It's cause I know yes. what I'm going to get, you know, yeah. I know it matches with everything I know. Yeah. Know? yeah. Um, but I love it from, from a, from my perspective, that's very, that's very appealing. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like there's been a lot of time and effort put into that. <laughs> Actually, there's a funny story about that. Um, I agree with you. I'm the same way with branding. I'm a branding junkie. Like I love the way Apple did things. Like I feel like you and I have very similar tastes in that sense. I was having a conversation with someone recently. So initially when I wanted to design this bottle, um, it was going to be all ocean and like all this stuff, you know, and then we get the price of that. And I was like, we cannot afford that. <laughs> and so they said, okay, you can afford one color and that's it. And on the bottle. And so I was like, all right, I guess that's what we got to do. And I cried for my bottle design that I wanted. But one of the cool things is, is I, as an entrepreneur, I have to understand, understand when to bob and weave. Mm-hmm. And kind of when to let something go and when to push hard, like pushing hard on our integrity of our ingredients, but kind of letting go of this dream bottle, you mm. know, that I had in my head. And um, so to hear that is great because <laughs> that was one of the things that I just had to let go and trust. And actually what ends up happening is the consumer's like, I actually really like that. And then I realized, oh, I didn't need to have this like elaborately designed bottle. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a funny story. <laughs> I a bottle. Well, it's 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 really cool, and I mean, it, well, you know, I, I could say that even if they didn't refill it with your product, it looks like it has so many more uses, which goes to say something about its sustainability, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Actually, today, so I have a bunch of them on my kitchen table right now, and I cannot find my you know travel coffee mug anywhere, and I was like, maybe I'll just put it in that and just bring it with me. <laughs> So that's good. These are the kind of products that we need right here. Right, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, well, I was, I was, um, I was doing a little bit of research, right? And 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 you you sent over some statistics to me that 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 surprised me. It said that three hundred fifty three million tons of plastic waste generation. Wow. Um, and it says forty percent coming from packaging. Right. I heard about this uh, this group uh, a couple months ago called Waste Plan. They're out of South Africa, and they their clients they've been able to take all their clients' waste and reduce it down to uh, their landfill percentage to eleven percent wow. of what they take in. Wow! And so they're able to th- recycle thirty percent, and then fifty nine percent has been recovered and converted to energy and other things. That's amazing. It's, this is in Africa. This is in South Africa. Yeah, and um, it's it's called a it's called Waste Plan. And the reason I bring them up is because you know looking at you have to look at it obviously from a um, 
from a convenience standpoint, how convenient it is, is it to get, actually get rid of my trash, right? right? The people that are handling the your everything you dispose of, are they? what are their best practices? What are right. their practices and standards? And also what you're purchasing, right? And so I think it's nice to look at it from a, not only a consuming standpoint, but then, you know, post-consumer, you know. I do love standpoint. that. I do love that. Um, so I'd, I'd love to share that. And I'll share that with my listeners too, because I think this is, this is a really cool uh, model. Um, and it's not, it's not costing, you know, their, their customers all this extra money for, mm-hmm. for this to happen. Um, it's just how they've built their entire business and, and, and how yeah. they've scaled it. So um, I think it's pretty neat. It is. I mean, you're right. It's, it's, it's really a threefold thing, right? It's like what, how you, what you actually purchase, mm-hmm. how was it handled then? And then what does it turn into like right. later? And how much can we do our part in that process? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's where we can control a lot of it is how we do our part personally. Yeah, you know, and and kind of you kind of segue perfectly into what my next topic is. <laughs> oh, did I? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, a, a little bit deep deeper topic. Not not to say that waste is not a a, a very important topic, but another part of your mission. Yes is around human trafficking. And that stood out to me. That's a big one. Um, that is a, a scary one. Um, one that seems to impact more people than maybe we think mm-hmm. it does. Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about, again, kind of our habits and those outputs mm-hmm. and what we can do at a, at a micro level and what's being done at a macro level in order to solve for that. Right. What is Freewell doing uh, as, as a part of that mission? Then we can get on a little bit deeper into, into that, if that, if that works for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So remember when I was sharing earlier about, I need a deeper purpose in my company. And again, I, I think as an entrepreneur, we all have to have our why. And that is sometimes, um, sometimes we may have an idea and we need to I- incorporate a deeper why. And I was that person. I think for me, I'm not driven by money. I'm, I'm driven by um, a sense of deeper purpose. And I learned that about myself. Um, and I've had jobs where I've made a lot of money, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but so going through that, um, so as I was building Freewell and um, doing that, so I will get into that part. So you asked me like what we're doing now currently. Mm-hmm. And the best way we can help right now is in two ways. One is that we donate 1% of all of our revenue um, some companies do profits. Obviously, we're not profitable yet. We're a brand new company. And so I found a company that I really admire um, the way they do that, and that's Cotopaxi. And that was how they modeled modeled it. So I was like, okay, this has been proven. This has been done. And um, so we do 1% of all revenue. Mm. And I'm a big believer in what you give back comes back to you. And um, we make it, we put it into our budget that that's what we can give. And hopefully that grows over time. The other part for me is, and this is kind of like divinely inspired, is we want to hire survivors for their very first job, um, post-rescue, post-rehabilitation. And, you know, I've had the company now for uh, about, you know, a year and a half, two years of truly actively doing it. And that's something that I can't take lightly. And it's something that we need to be um, extremely stable for and um, to really do that the right way. Um, Because what survivors really need is that stability. So I've gotten connected to Magdalene House and Magdalene House is a home for survivors. Um, They house six women at at max. 
And uh, this is like the second cohort that I've actually gotten to meet and work with. When I very first started, I had one of the women there who would come over to my house. She couldn't find a job. Um, She had a felony um, and for like drug charges. And uh, some of them have felonies for prostitution, which of course we know is not voluntary. Um, And then the drugs make a lot of sense because when you're being raped 20 times a day, sometimes heroin is the only thing that keeps you alive. And so it's really this vicious cycle. So then this woman goes out and she's trying to get a job and she's got a felony on her record. So she really has no place to start. She ended up getting a job and her best option was to work at 7-Eleven, the night shift. And she had to walk to work to do that. And probably not the best part of town. Yeah. And so I, at the time when she was going through this, I was like, listen, I can't bring you on full time, but do you want to come help me make power gloss? And she was like, yeah. And granted during that time, I was still going through a lot of my healing as well. And I was doing trauma therapy and so was she. Hmm. And I remember I would have moments where I'm just like, you got this, you're doing amazing. And then in my head, I'm like, I need to hear this too. <laughs> like, you know. And um, so now um, I, through that process, I, I knew that that's not sustainable to do that. And so I was, what does this look like now? And so I personally volunteer with the two organizations that we donate to. We donate to Magdalene House here in Austin, Texas. And then we donate to an organization called Salt and Light Coalition that's in Chicago. Um, and I teach business classes to the organization in Chicago via Zoom. I actually got to meet them in person um, last year. and Or was it this year? Who knows? I don't know time of day anymore. Um, and with Magdalene House, I now spend time with them every Friday. And I talked to the director and I was like, hey, this is where we are. This is where you are. How do we come together? And we really want to build a job program, but what does it look like today? How can we go ahead and start this? Mm. And so we're really happy that after um, kind of co-working together and thinking of a solution, the end of September, we're launching our free will work day. And the women, it's completely voluntary. So like if they want to come, they can, and they get paid for that entire day. And they're going to kind of work at free will for a day. <laughs> and they are going to sit with me and we're going to pack boxes and we're going to show them how we make product. Um, and then they're going to sit with our head of go-to-market strategy who launched Beats by Dre and Honest Beauty and like all this <laughs> stuff. And they're going to sit and like learn from her and how she did that. And then they're going to sit with our fractional CFO and financial advisor. And she was the head of finance at Orbe and she's going to teach these women about how you run the finances of a business and our chief of staff, who's just my angel. Um, and so <laughs> she's, um, and so that's how we start today. Um, my goal is to, you know, say in five years is that we have 50 survivors yeah. working for us. Um, I believe in quality over quantity. So whether that looks like maybe the best quality is 10, hmm. um, but maybe we have 50 that have come through our program yeah, and that we're donating thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to these organizations to where they can do what they do very well yeah. um, and do it more. And oh. that's, that's how we, how we do that. That's really cool. I, I, I love hearing that. Um, even if it's just one, right. Would it it'd oh probably gosh, be worth it? Right. Yep. I remember actually one time I, when I, I went to Haiti and I was working at an orphanage and I was so overwhelmed with that's also an interesting sustainability story, but I was so overwhelmed. And I was like, how do I help? How do I help? And I was just holding this little girl and I just heard, you just start with one person hmm. and you just start there. And as I build this, I just remember that 
it's not, it's, it's to start with impacting one person. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so when we talk about, you know, trafficking and um, exploitation, is that something that is incredibly common here in the U.S. as well, or yes. is it only internationally? So, is there are there are there hot spots? Is it because of something? Yeah, California the... and Texas, I believe, are the biggest um, hmm. hot spots for it. And what I will say is that um, it's huge in America, and it's in plain sight, which is even hmm. more alarming. So um, once I started getting into learning about human trafficking, um, I got connected to a woman who worked for the Texas Attorney General's office, um, organized crime department, which covered human trafficking. Hmm. And she said the best place to start, especially as a Texan, is to watch this documentary called Be the One. And it shows firsthand what it's like, what trafficking looks like in the U.S. and even more so here in Texas. So a prime example of that was on the documentary. Um, there was this really nice neighborhood in the woodlands and the family's all it's a gated neighborhood. Mm-hmm. The families are all sitting out there. They bring out their chairs. They sit in their little cul-de-sac and like the kids are playing in the yard and you're just hanging with, it's like you being here at your house and hanging out with your kids in the front yard. And um, one of the things you asked me is like, how do you spot trafficking as a citizen and help? Mm-hmm. And this is a prime example of that as well. And the dad of one of these families just kind of noticed that all these strange cars just kept showing up at this house hmm. on their street, like ranging from Maseratis to broken down trucks. Like, and he thought that was strange. So he went and bought a, a hunting cam and put it on his uh, house and was tracking all these random vehicles that were going to this house. And then he ended up typing in that address online and it was a brothel and they were trafficking women there literally in the neighborhood in the woodlands and you know that's how close it can be yeah um and you know like i said the woman that uh, was working with me uh you know she was sold on craigslist 20 times a day and she was coerced into like her friends like hey let's go to this house my friend's house they ended up locking her up and selling her on craigslist 20 times a day and yeah and she tried to escape twice. And like I said, they get these women hooked on drugs or they're just doing drugs to get through the day. Yeah. And she, um, of course, then you start going with withdrawals if you escape. And then that pimp then has told all everybody, if you see this girl, send her my way. Mm-hmm. So that girl's obviously going through withdrawals. She finds a dealer and that dealer is like, hey, buddy, your girl's here. And they come and, they, and then they took her. And I'm so proud of her. She's doing amazing now. And she went through Magdalene House and she's doing phenomenal and just like, you know, such an inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, on my hard days, I remember these are not, these are hard days, but I am so filled with gratitude for every day of my life. Like just our basic freedoms that we have. And yeah. the other form of trafficking um, is what we see more like you know, where you see the girls with their hands tied and, you know, all of that. A lot of times trafficking, there's one form, which is what they call like the Romeo pimp mm-hmm. version of it, where um, the girl has low self-esteem. She maybe ran away from home. She didn't have like present parents maybe as much or sexually assaulted as a kid. It all kind of plays in together. Yeah. And somebody finds her on the street and says, I'll take care of you. And they, she's thinking she's being loved and cared for. And that guy grooms her. 
Uh, one of the women that I worked with, um, her name is Allison Franklin. Um, she's a survivor and her story was she was abused by her grandfather when she was young and then sexually assaulted. And then she eventually ran away from home, obviously, because home's not safe. And she ended up um, on the streets and this, she was, I think, 14, maybe a little bit younger. And this 32-year-old man was like, I'll take care of you. I love you. And mm. he ends up oh, essentially raping her because she's a child um, and then ends up selling her. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, and I've, I've heard, I've heard more stories like that from some, some friends and some organizations like Red Oak and, 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 and the like now, yeah. a lot of that's more, more international, I think that is their focus, but what sticks out to me, you know, in these stories and we can keep talking about it just a moment, but, but you talk about your going back to your mission, mm-hmm. right? A lot of your mission is, would appear to be externally focused. But these are internal problems, right? That, that you're going after when when you're when you are trying to get somebody out of trafficking, right? I mean, yes. this is this is a whole different le- yeah. layer. They've been brainwashed for years, and it's literally like, how do you unravel that? Mm-hmm. You know, working with a woman last night, and just how do I unravel the like literally like the way she thinks about herself, you know, mm-hmm. and the way that she sees value in herself. Like I'm. It's you, you're unraveling years and years and years of abuse and, um, you know, being told that you're nothing and no one's going to love you. No one's wants you. You're, you know, and, um, and, you know, like that's again, one person. Wow. I'm, um. I'm just blown away by these stories and it's, it's hard to kind of reshift and, and refocus after <laughs> stories like that. Right. Because yeah. you just kind of need a minute to, to take yeah. it all in. I do want to kind of focus on also things that maybe we don't know about because you mentioned something to me that I had to start doing a little bit of research on mm-hmm. and that was the Yazidi women. Yes. Yes. Can we talk about that? For yes. A yes. Um, so, you know, as I was going through my own journey of healing from my own story of sexual assault like i i was listening <laughs> i i had i was like i'm gonna be a human rights lawyer and i'm gonna go save women all over the world you know like i was also newly sober and apparently that's a thing <laughs> like try to go and like replace drinking with like getting a law degree i don't know and um <laughs> and i was like researching anybody who was like working in this and i stumbled across um this one podcast of a woman that runs a um, initiative called Nadia's Initiative. And I was like, well, who's this woman, Nadia? Hmm. And Nadia Murad is um, a Yazidi woman. So back in 2014, when ISIS came in to Kocho, Iraq, but they essentially killed most of the men and boys. And they took all the women who were technically of age, whatever that they considered that to be. And there's still 2,800 women who are being still held captive as sex slaves and children hmm. by ISIS. And when I read Nadia's book, So Nadia um, was one of those women, and she's one of the very few women who was able to escape. Mm. And so I'm reading her book, and Nadia, um, before this happens, she's talking about her life, and her dream um, was to be a hairstylist. Mm. And I get chills every time I think about that, because I'm a hairstylist. And I'm like, oh, wow, this woman across the world, you know, in Iraq, like, that's her dream. And... 
the fact that we just don't talk about that, and that's another form of trafficking, which is um, I took a whole course at Stanford on women's health and human rights, and I really wanted to learn deeper about how all this all this is. So when I look up, look at what's happening in America, and then I also look about what's happening across the pond somewhere else, and you know these women, um, wartime crimes trafficking is huge. I mean, if you think about all the women that were brutally raped multiple times in Rwanda during the uh, the genocide there. And so now what Nadia Mirad is doing is she is working with Amal Clooney. She's part of the UN and she, they're working on bringing ISIS to justice and charging them for sexual war crimes. And I, I could be wrong, but I believe it just happened. And they're trying to restore these women that the few that have been able to go back to Kocho, I mean, all the men are dead. No one was there like to support them. And so, um, uh, and so it, it's to me, that's a deeper purpose that I have is like, I do want to work on trafficking here in America on the level we can with the free will. But my next chapter of my life is doing things, I think, on a much um, broader scale with that. Yeah. The stories were, were baffling to me because I had never, never heard of it. Right. Exactly. A lot yeah. of people haven't. Like, right. You know. And, and what was amazing, it, just a little quick tidbit uh, that I promise comes back in the end, but one of the former prisoners of ISIS and, and was, was a sex slave of ISIS, you know, she was talking about how you know, conversion was a requirement mm-hmm. and, and the reason they were, it was justified they were captured is because they did not practice the same religion. And so they had to convert them to uh, Islam and, and, and they began to ask her about that. She's like, so how did that feel? She's like, you know, I, I, I went through the tasks, but that doesn't mean that it affected me in my heart. Mm. And, and, that's that phrase stuck with me because it, it it played out in her life with where because of that situation she had to really understand who she was she had to understand what her purpose was that's amazing, yeah. right and and being reconnected to her purpose after this this atrocity these atrocities yeah. and and include including never being able to see her mother again her her father's gone you know and and she's got a brother that she's able to reconnect with wow. it's just um yeah. i mean one of the things I saw that, that the Yazidi women are doing now is this boxing club. Have you seen this? What? Yeah, it was coolest thing. Uh, I, I'll, I'll share. I mean, I'll share all these links we've been talking oh about. Oh my gosh, I but, love that. Yeah, so they, they basically decided to start this this boxing club where it's it's not only empowering, right, for from a defense and self defense standpoint, but also just a, a mental health perspective. Yeah. And so you've got all these Yazidi women that are getting together oh and, and and just boxing it I out. I love the gym. this. I love this. Yeah. I, I don't know if you know this, but I dabble in jujitsu and Muay Thai. I just started and doing that. <laughs> I did not and know that. so um, that makes me so happy. Um, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, honestly, I think that that is a thing. Yeah. I think that women getting into martial arts after being sexually assaulted is definitely empowering. I mean, I, oh. I've done it. Like I box off and on for 10 years, but that is so cool. <laughs> I love that. I will get there one day. I will be in Yazidi at one point. I know that. Yeah, I, I I don't even know how to begin to to dabble in. I mean, I I could dabble in the the, the martial arts part, but dabbling in in the the trafficking piece, I'm I'm just you know I, I'd have to figure out where how to come to terms with yeah deal you know even even dealing with that or being being present in that. You know? I think that just like the sustainability thing, right? I mean, obviously, <laughs> we're not a basic company. We're like let's tackle two of the biggest issues in the world <laughs> with our company. Um, you know, that's how I roll. Um. <laughs> I think it's an easy place to get overwhelmed. And I understand that with people. It's so broad. There's so many definitions of trafficking 
in, in it. There's slave labor, you know, um, it's not just women, it's men too, it's children, it's, you know, it's, it's, it affects everybody. And it's educating yourself is painful. Hmm. It's a, it's something you can't unsee. And I think the way that it's hard to process and see those things. And I, I try to give people grace, but I also try to encourage them to, to take a look, to take a look. And the more you educate yourself, the more that, like I said, you could be the guy who's sitting in his driveway, who's noticing something a little strange. Hmm. And that's how you as an active citizen can do that. But I think it's also, um, you know, learning more about it and just how can you help? Mm. I do believe that we're all called to help in different ways. Yeah. Um, I personally don't like to give my money. I think that's weird, but I love to give my time. Mm. I mean, obviously I'm giving money through my company, but I'm a person who'd rather like get in there and do the, yeah. do the work. But there's some people that just really can give money yeah. and we're, we're all called to do that differently because both are so needed. Yeah. And, um, it, like I said, it's one of those things that you can't unsee, but it's one of the things that you actually can make a difference. And it's just, again, like one little thing that you can do. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's probably much easier for me to give my money than my time. Yeah. yeah. And, and also, it's easier to give my money and say, we'll let, we'll let those people handle it. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. And, and rather <laughs> yeah. than get my hands dirty and, yeah. and, and get emotionally involved, right? It's, it's a lot easier to yeah. just give yeah. the money and go. Yeah. I would encourage people to get a little emotionally involved. Yeah. A little bit because I mean you have two daughters, you know, and yeah. um, that's every reason why. Yeah, you know, and you know you, you kind of segued into something that I want to briefly touch on uh, from a not a victim standpoint but a perpetrator standpoint. Right. You know, one of my passions is about the fatherless homes, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know, there's 25 million children in the U.S. That, that don't have a you know biological father present. And and a couple of statistics that a few statistics that stuck out to me uh, was that fatherless children are 14 times more likely to become rapists. Daughters without biological fathers are 900 times more vulnerable to sexual abuse. Um, and then you start getting into prison statistics: 85% of youth in prison. And, um, 60% of youth suicides and 71% of high school dropouts. These, these numbers are staggering. Mm-hmm. And I think going back to kind of like sustainability, right? How do you work on the problem from both sides? Right? Yeah. I remember I went to this organization here in Austin and it was like a volunteer program. This was probably like 10, 10 years ago. And it was like a, essentially like a orientation mm-hmm. and they're talking about this and this, you know, what they do on the, on the after. And I remember raising my hand and being like, how do you stop this before it even starts? Yeah. You know, how do you cut the snake off at the head? That's a very good question, you know. And like I, I think about my own story, right? Like about my rapist and how did how did he become that? You know? And there will be a point in my life when I will actually dig deeper into that. I have connections to his brother, and actually the very last night I drank, I wrote his brother. And I want to say, I want to talk to you about your brother. And so that, that will come later because again, I want to know why, like, why did one brother become this amazing father husband? Hmm. And then one became a rapist and a murderer. Yeah. I think that, you know, the data and the stats that you have behind that is that I, that is something that we absolutely need to look at. And I, I, I can honestly say that I, I haven't veered down that path. Yeah. Quite yet. Well, so. I mean, it, you can't take on the whole world, you know. I, I, what I, do you I, mean? 
You know what? You can. You can. You should. I really should. But let's start with like, one or two things. I'm just trying to make sure my laundry gets done half the time. It's a struggle. No, I, I, I and, and, you know, I think it, it does go back to, um, you know, what you're divinely called to, right? I, I know that I'm divinely called to you know, speaking to the issue of fatherless homes yep. and the importance of forgiveness, right? And and we talked a little bit about that. And, I, you know, I think we can touch on a little bit more, but I'd love to also talk on the other part we talked about, the importance of mentorship. Yes. Because that's what changed my life and my heart around yes. fatherlessness. Wow. What about you? Let's, let's talk about mentorship. A little oh, bit. wow. Um, I mean, I've kind of alluded to it, but for me, mentorship, um, the most uh, current and I would say longest mentor I've had has actually been uh, my sponsor in a unnamed 12-step program. (laughs) It's been game-changing in my life. I mean, um, having this woman who has essentially done the work and done it and then she walks me through the work and helps me and essentially what it, what it is is you surround yourself with people who they say won't co-sign on your bullshit hmm. and i've realized um when you asked me to come on this podcast and i was really thinking about the mentors that i am drawn to and the people that kind of show up in my life that i really respect are the actual people who call me on my stuff hmm. um my boxing coach actually for a long time I realized this. He didn't tell me you're doing great. Well, he did on occasion, but first he told me that this girl's going to kick your butt. Like you need to like, you know, he talked a lot of smack to me, but that actually like motivated me, you know? And, um, but then he was also there when I was crying, showing up to boxing practice and I was like hungover, and I was just like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to do this. And he was sober and he would just sit with me and like talk with me and talk about his process. And, you know, now, like I said, with my sponsor, like, I literally have a woman. The one of the reasons we want mentors is because we want, in some way, shape, or form, what they have, mm. right? Mm-hmm. How did they get there? Yeah. And she's proven that she's done that, and I'm amazed by her. She's such an inspiration to me, and you know, she's really shown up in the way when <laughs> I remember one distinct situation where she gave me advice. And I didn't want to take it. And I was like, I'm breaking up with you. But, you know, I was thinking all these things. And she goes, you know what, Shandy? You're just going to do what you want to do. That's like the worst <laughs> thing you can ever say to me. And I was like, oh, and as much as I hated it and as much as I wanted to do what I wanted to do, which obviously was a pattern that didn't serve me, mm-hmm. you know, I listened to her mm-hmm. and, and she ended up being right. Mm-hmm. And, and now in my career, looking for like a business mentor, and I had this unique connection and I ended up having coffee this past week with a, an amazing um, man who's like actually like been in the industry. He's actually a mentor for another program in Austin called SKU. And so like he's done that already. And uh, we have coffee. And of course, he kind of kicks me in my ass a little bit. Yeah. And I go, do you by chance want to mentor me? And he's like, I'd love to. <laughs> and just such a nice person. And, you know, I was like, you know, it's funny how you ask for it. And I feel like if you really put it out there, because like, how do I go about getting a mentor? And like, you know, like, how does that even go? But so for me, having mentors is having people, having someone who deeply cares about you hmm. and your success and can also tell it to you straight. Yeah. 
And that's what I look for in mentors. So I find myself saying, "Uh uh-huh, and wow, a lot while you're talking because I I, I agree with it. And then sometimes you land these points that I'm like, yeah, you said it, you said what I needed to hear. Um, So (laughs) anybody listening is going to say, well, he says, wow, a lot. I'm like, I'm fascinated. Okay. (laughs) I have good guests. Okay. I'm not going to waste my time. Um, but, you know, I was looking at, you know, I love statistics. I love how statistics I, I realize this, yeah. by the way. He sent me an email before our podcast. And he's like, Shandy, we need statistics and all these things. And I'm just, and I was like, okay, I got it. Got it. <laughs> the one, there's two, there's a couple that stuck out to me. But one specifically is that uh, for at-risk uh, youth that have a mentor, they're 130% more likely to hold leadership positions. Wow. That is just incredible to me. Wow. You want to you want to go to Vegas with those odds, right? Right. Wow, that's <laughs> um, amazing. And the uh 70% more likely to volunteer regularly. Mm. Uh, 90% say are interested in becoming mentors themselves. Um I believe that. Yes, actually. So one of the rules of my program is that in order to sponsor somebody, you have to be sponsored. Mm. And it's this beautiful system of like Every best mentor has a mentor. Yeah. And so now I'm mentoring women. And I think for me to be the best mentor is to have a mentor. Yeah. And there's been many times where they'll ask me a question. I was like, hold on, let me call my mentor. <laughs> 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 I don't know the answer, but I think I know somebody who can help me come to the answer. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I'll say without my mentor that my most impactful one came, you know, in college. Mm-hmm. And I've been, I've been, teeter-tottering on whether or not to contact him back. It's been a while since we talked, and I'm like, I have to. Well, especially yeah. now, you should have him on the podcast. Yeah, I, I know. I, I need to. I, <laughs> and, he should uh, have been your first guest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're, you're probably right. I think I was just a little, a little scared to have I the know. guy that's told me everything right and, and wrong for, yeah. for years uh, <laughs> as my first one. But uh, yeah. but what, what he did that was just fascinating to me is that you know he was my roommate's dad. Mm. And he called me out before I don't think we were even, you know, close at the time. He started calling me out pretty early. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't like this. Yeah. But I want to challenge this guy. But the more I would challenge him, the more I found myself to be wrong. <laughs> That's it, right? Yep. Yeah. And then he spent four years with, with me wow. until I, I went through a process of forgiveness, you know, specifically for my dad. And mm-hmm. um and I'm like, man, what could he have been doing with those four years of his life? other than pouring into me and, but it was worth it to him. And I'll tell you what it's worth it to me. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of mentorship and you talk about results, you talk about your product, bringing results, mentorship brings results. It really does. It's so fulfilling too. Like, I think my, um, mentor mentors like 20 women and I'm like, you're an insane person. How do you do that? Like, how do you do that? I literally am just like, you're a nut job. Like, <laughs> And uh, she had all of her mentees at her house for Christmas. And I'm like, this is a full house. Like, this is amazing to me. Um, And then now I'm kind of, you know, I mentor a few women and I'm like, how do you do it? And like, it's hard. And then this week I met with one of them and I was just like, I was so stressed out. I'm running a startup, you know, and I'm fundraising and all this stuff. And I'm just like going a million miles a minute all day long. And then I just have to like, I'm like, how am I going to show up for this person? And I'm like, you know. Like I'm on the verge of like a breakdown. <laughs> like, well, I'm doing dramatic. I'm not, but, <laughs> um, but, and then all of a sudden I pull up, I walk in and then it's just all that goes away hmm. and I leave feeling so fulfilled. Yeah. Last night I felt so fulfilled and, you know, you talk about legacy. 
And I've been thinking a lot about that. And I'm like, when I think about that, I think about being the 80-year-old woman sitting on my front porch in a rocking chair. And I'm going to look back at my life and what am I going to be the most proud of? Mm. And I'm trying to be that person now for that 80-year-old woman that I'm going to be, like where she looks back and, you know, she could live in a trailer or she could live in a mansion. We'll see how this business turns out. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But in her heart, what is she most proud of? And I know it's the work that I'm doing with the survivors and the way that I'm changing, like to see my products on the shelves for other people and to be like, do you remember when we used to do and use products this way? Mm. And then Freewell's the company that changed that, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it may, makes me think of um, my, my pastor was talking about this, uh, this lady that was in, in her eighties and she was um, in a, in a, uh, in a nursing home and she uh, requested to move to a new nursing home, mm. you know, with her family. And, I said, why, why are you, you know, why do you want to move? She's like, oh, I've already talked to everybody here about <laughs> Jesus. And so she's on her third nursing home now. And, you I know, love I've it. already had all the, you know, and yeah. I'm, I, you know, whether, you know, wow. whatever your, your, whatever your thoughts or feelings are on that. But I mean, wow. what a way to live life too around, you know, yeah. your purpose as well. Well, that's exactly what one of my, men- my mentor tells me, mm-hmm. you know, one of the, okay, this is really funny. When I first got sober, and I'm talking to her and she goes, and I'm like, tell her about all these books that I read. I'm, you're probably the same person. You probably read every like major like Atomic Habits and like all those things, all those books that we read. Or the audio tape. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Or the audio <laughs> version. Yeah. And I've, I got, I got all of them, you know? And she goes, oh, Shandy, it's like, you sure do have a lot of books about how to help yourself. Do you have any books about how to help other people? <sighs> I'll suck the air right out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? There's not a lot out there because then I started looking. Hmm. I bought a book. There was one I found. It's called How to Do Good Better. And that's an amazing book, especially if you're doing anything in uh, the nonprofit space or uh, like what we're doing with Freewell. Um, And it shows like how to really give back in in a great way and not just like on your white girl, white horse walking into whatever situation. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, that really got me thinking. So one of the, attributes of the 12 step program is when you're in self that's typically when you're the most unhappiest Mm. because you're just ruminating about yourself and they say go be of service Mm. which is very hard to do in that moment because you're like woe is me at that moment just like yesterday i Mm -hmm. was like stressing out and i was like oh my gosh like you know like it's just like go 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 and then all of a sudden i do this and i'm like oh that's there's a benefit to it. There's mm. a benefit to being a mentor. But yeah, it was really interesting. They say like, what are you actually doing for others Yeah. today? What are you packing into the stream of life? Mm. Every day you ask yourself that question. I mean, it goes back, I mean, to use a religious reference again, you know, a biblical reference is go and feed my sheep, you know, he keeps, you know, determined, he's yeah. determined to, 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 to ruminate on his problems. And Jesus is like, yeah. go and feed my sheep. You know, it's, 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 it's an age old solution right is step out of your own uh, out of your own worries and your own issues and yeah. it'll, it'll straighten up your life real quick yeah just a few <laughs> months ago i was just really like kind of like down in the dumps about dating and just like that whole thing and i was like i quit i'm done <laughs> <laughs> like, never doing this again 
you know, and my sponsor was like, go be of service, hmm. go pour into women. And I literally got asked to do a haircut at Magdalene house. And that has now spurred me being way more involved. Um, I was kind of like, I had taken a step back of like actually working with the women as much and was focusing on like growing the business more. But thankfully I got asked to do that haircut and now I have all this opportunity to be of service. And, um, she was right. Go be of service. Stop worrying about boys. And now I'm so busy. I, I, I literally like, I don't even want to date now. I'm like <laughs> so busy, you know? And so it's just funny how that works. Right. Now yeah. it'll probably happen. Right. <laughs> that's, that's how it happened for me. It was oh, when really? I, yeah. It was when I was like, I'm, I'm done dating. I'm just gonna, you know, go do my own thing for a while. And then this beautiful woman just comes into my Aww. view i'm like i'm gonna meet her oh <laughs> i love that and we just kept running into each other and she kept yeah. saying no to dates and you know, i wore it down it took a while but yeah. you know you're not a quitter persistence yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but you know i mean talk, talk about constant service you know marriage mm -hmm. and kids uh i mean uh, if i need an attitude adjustment uh go spend time around around them and gets me out of my problems real quick yeah yeah <laughs> you know not, not because they are problems but serving people right yeah. is, is is just just takes you away from you know your own needs for for a few minutes yeah or for a little while it's so. interesting because like you know i'm part of a gratitude text thread and uh the times that i actually this kind of plays into that uh when i want to call my mentor there's times when i don't want to call my mentor because i don't want to hear what they have to say <laughs> and my rule is i call them twice hmm. the times that i really don't want to hear what they want to say i make sure i get them on the phone within an hour wow because that has just shown me through the times that like this is a dangerous path that i can go down where i know that i'm in a place where i'm probably going to repeat a pattern or i'm going to hmm. do something and like if we know that they're going to say something about it, we probably deep down know that it's probably not the right choice. And I was like, oh, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so I, that's my rule. If I don't want to call them, I call them twice. Uh, so Shandy, we talked a little bit about, well, we talked a good bit about mentorship and the value of that in our life. Um, but I think generally what gets us in, in a position to, um, for people like me at least, it gets us in a position to want or need a mentor is trauma or or conflict that is beyond what we think we can solve for mm. right it's mm -hmm. it's 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 hard to have a well-structured life and then say oh i want to i want a mentor i need or i need help yeah can you talk a little bit about just a little bit more about your personal story and kind of what got you into that position yeah absolutely I, and i will say the best decision i've ever made in my entire life was asking for help hands down the reason why i'm so called to work with survivors of human trafficking is because I am a third generation uh, rape survivor and I grew up in middle-class America. So when I was seven years old, I was brutally raped by um, a man and tried to explain that very challengingly. Um, I don't know if that's a word challengingly, <laughs> but I tried to explain that to my parents when I kind of was able to realize that that wasn't okay. That's around like 11, 12. And I just couldn't find the words to tell my parents. I just, mm. you know, it's a so much shame. How do you tell your dad that mm. something like that happened to you? And I don't think I was even able to really verbally process it. Um, and so I just felt super kind of like abandoned in that situation. But have since like, I I've had a story that I played my whole life about that day. That day it happened, and the day that 
I told my parents and now I actually know what happened on that day for them. And we had very different perspectives where I thought I said something and they said, you said it was just an attempt. So I felt super abandoned for many years that I was never done. And then around 18, 19 years old, I'm sitting with my grandma and I tell her about what happened. And she goes, well, sweetheart, you know what happened to him, right? And I go, no. And she goes, well, he's on death row for rape and murder. And that kind of leads me down a path of zero self-worth, just like the the guilt, you know, because it had happened after I had said something and, you know, it just not down a healthy path. Even though I was always able to maintain a very successful business, I was just so broken inside and was like struggling. And then I finally uh, just couldn't anymore. So around 30 years old, at the top of my game running my hair business, I start kind of looking at what happened to me and I was like, is like, has this affected me? And just like all of that. And that's when I started drinking um, because I cracked a little bit of that situation. I mean, I remember thinking like, how do people become alcoholics? And then I felt like God's like, oh, just wait, you'll find out. And then you're going to help other people. But like, it was like, um, I would work all day in the salon and I would come home and I would just be like, I don't, I was go, 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 go. I didn't have to think about it. And then right when I would stop, like I would have this overwhelming sense of anxiety. And the only thing that would kind of like help me go to sleep or turn my brain off was having a glass of wine, which ended up turning into a bottle of wine every night, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was just wash and repeat every day. And I lived like that for a few years. And finally, I was just like, I'm so broken. I'm so broken. Like I can't do this anymore. Um, I've had thoughts of suicide. I've had, you know, when, when we talk about someone being a sexual assault survivor, it really is like you survive because there are so many of us men and women who have taken their own life, who have died from drugs, who have drinking and drove, who have not survived it. Yeah. And I'm one of the lucky ones, you know, and that's not everybody's story, but it's, I was, finally at a place where I was like, I just can't anymore. And here I was, Miss Independent, running my own business. You know, I was petrified to ask for help because I was afraid of the label that would come when I asked for help. Yeah. I'm now going to be labeled an alcoholic. I'm now going to be labeled someone who can't get their act together. I'm, You know, like it's like all these things that prevent us from getting help. It's our pride. Yeah. And I remember watching this documentary um, of Elton John on Oprah. And he's like, I had sold millions of records. I had sold out arenas. I, you know, I had millions of dollars in the bank. And this is the one thing I couldn't, I couldn't conquer. Mm. And he's like, I had to ask for help. And he realized that his pride was going to kill him. I was so concerned about these labels yeah. that um, I know a lot of military vets who go through that where they don't want to be labeled like PTSD trauma from that. And like, there's people, you know, who've had it when they were younger and they're like, I don't want people to look at me differently. And, um, I, my biggest thing was I didn't want to be seen as damaged goods, Mm. you know? Yeah. Like it's my dirty secret that this happened. And if you find out, then you're going to realize I'm broken. Mm. Finally, I couldn't, you just can't anymore. I couldn't anymore. I was exhausted. I was broken. And I finally just asked for help. And that was the best thing I've ever done. And what I can do now by sharing my story is I will tell you this right now, every 
investor meeting I go into, every person I go on a date with, anything I do, like those labels are actually like badges of honor now that I get to carry. Mm. And I'm so proud of them. And like to be able to say that I've overcome these things and that I went through something really hard. It's hard to go through those things. It's also really hard to go through the work from those things. Yeah. But I'm so glad I did. And I was so badly looking for someone to share that experience and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I just really couldn't find anybody, you know, that was talking about going through rape or sexual assault as a kid and was still a successful person today or had other struggles. And, you know, actually, I take that back. Dak Shepard is somebody who has done that. And it was really refreshing and amazing. And that did actually help me get sober was hearing him talk. And so, um, you know, I, I choose to be public about it. I choose to talk about it because I never know if my story can help one other person. And I am like in a completely different place in my life now um, because I asked for help. So just having the ability to, to, to do that. And now I can, you know, I was trying to help people with my company before I got the help, you know? And, um, I remember like talking to a therapist. I'm like, I really want to help survivors and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, in my head, I just kind of heard, you know, God say like, girl, you need to help yourself first. (laughs) You can't help anybody. (laughs) And so I did, I put everything on hold. I put this business on hold. Thankfully COVID happened at that time. I was given the space. I was given the time. Hmm. Um, I had like no money in the bank because of COVID. I was a, I was a hairstylist. I was already living paycheck to paycheck to support this business. And literally the universe conspired and I got eight sessions of EMDR trauma therapy for free (laughs) because I lived at the time with my girlfriend who her company supported anybody in the household for mental services. But that never would have happened had I not asked for help. And so, like I said, just sitting with this woman this week and literally seeing that she is, I... I know where she's at. I know what she's going through and I can actually kind of be a friend next to her and help her through that. I, I definitely appreciate you sharing that. I, um, I know it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a vulnerable thing to talk about, but you know, I, I will say also that I, I'd say it very clearly at the beginning of this podcast, I get to interview people that are my personal heroes. <laughs> and, and I think that that is a, that is something you know heroic to be able to to share that and not be be a victim but a victor right and not be uh, and be, be be a mentor to other people that are going through that and help bring yeah. them out of silence right? yeah I, I I lived in the victim mentality for a long time and uh, I realized I had to change it from victim to survivor because mm. even just in your head mentally when you change that verbiage that's exactly what I told her yesterday when we were talking and I said you know you have to realize that you're a survivor but when you play victim mode it's that's you stay in that place yeah. and she's like whoa and i was like yeah it's amazing just go play the beyonce song i'm a survivor like do it <laughs> you know <laughs> um, so. on the other side of the coin it's stigmatized among men too to talk about yes you know um, sexual assault and so um i'd be i'd be curious as to how that conversation progress progresses through some of these podcasts as yeah. well um because yeah. i've got my own my own thoughts on that to share but yeah. um yeah. i I really admire the, the, the journey that you've taken and, and the, you know, whether it was push, pull or drag or voluntarily, you know, <laughs> I think it was all three, all three were there. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's, there's something to be said for responding and, um, and then also saying, well, this, this is now a part of my, my mission, my personal mission, uh, and 
and my brand's mission. Yeah, that's so interesting because it's like I don't think a lot of us like I remember back in the day where it's like find your purpose and I was like, that's so stressful. <laughs> I'm just trying to like get through the day. Like, what's my purpose? Like that's even more. And um one of the things that really stood out for me is, you know, I didn't even know what that was until I knew what that was. Hmm. And um I mean, I didn't even have that purpose until I was like, I'm I'm almost 40 years old now, you know, but they say God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. (laughs) And that is like, so the days that I have when I'm like, I'm not qualified, you know, and then I was like, oh, I remember that, you know? Yeah. Um, Like it will show up for me and the opportunities, you know, I, I believe that when you take that little leap of faith and you take that little step that. God's like, okay, I'll, I'm going to show up tenfold now for that. And that's kind of been like all these scary moments that I've had in my life of just like taking that one little really scary baby step, right? Yeah. And then it's just like, and then it shows up. I, I can't, I can't add to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we're, as we're, as we're beginning to kind of, kind of wrap this conversation, because this has been, this has been fascinating and, oh. and um, just really excited to, again, talk to people that are using their platform. Um, for for promoting, you know what they what they believe their purpose is, what what their what the legacy is that they would like to leave, and impacting other people's legacies, right? We're, that's what we're doing. It's it's not just leaving a legacy; we're impacting other people's legacies, right? I will say that the one thing that kind of led me to this conclusion that 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 I'm that I'm very good at one thing, and that's being really enthusiastic about what other people are really good at. <laughs> That's my gift. That's my. You're, you're a professional hype man. Is yeah, that what you that's, are? That's, that's my. You know, uh, my my enneagram is a seven, so uh, I'm, I'm an enthusiast. Uh, yeah. Uh, Myers Briggs is the same thing. I'm a campaigner. You know, I'm like, oh, well, okay, I love there's, it. I love there's, it. There's a theme here. Nice. Um, do, do you know your enneagram by chance? That's so funny. I went on a date the other day, and they were asking me that, and I was like, I feel like I always retake it because I forget. Yeah. Actually, what it is. I and had to retake so, it like three times. Yeah. Yeah, and then. Someone told me like, oh, you actually don't take a test. You just read and pick which one you want. So I have no idea. I know my love languages. That's about as far as hey, I've that's got. important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but- I, I, I love it just because it's, 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 it's really, it's revealing. And what I like about Enneagram specifically is it's based off of um, your, your number is typically based off of childhood trauma and experiences. Wow. That's what defines, ultimately defines your Do you think that number. looking at me, you can figure out which one I am maybe? I'm not good enough at it. No, but you know what? <laughs> we're going to, we're going to do a little, little bonus, you know, side Instagram a- stream where we're going to talk about it or something. My okay? <laughs> Knowing my personality, I'm going to be like, no, that's wrong. Just because like, I'm such a rebel, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, that actually might, might play into your number. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, they're like, oh, like, oh, you're too obviously, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's neat. I don't think it's an end all, be all, or you know, the, the problem solver. But I think it's revealing, right? To 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 look at all of these different personality types and kind of look at, oh, you you can see where you overlap on a lot of different ones, maybe. But but then you see that one, and you're like, oh, I can't disagree with any of these. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting is so we essentially kind of do that in the twelve step program is where we kind of go in and we talk about all of our resentments and then your mentor um sits down and says okay well here are your character defects Hmm. and then we work on those and you know and um here's a funny one here's a great one so every so often you spot check and you like you know when you have resentments you write your inventory on it and you do all that and um my favorite thing to do is i i think the resent uh the character defects is a very strong word (laughs) uh 
So I like to say these are our defense mechanisms. These are things that we've done that have we've done to somewhat protect ourselves and maybe they did serve us for a little bit, but now that they don't serve us anymore. And so a few years sober, you know, whatever, we're sitting down and I get a whole new crop of them, you know, and one of them was defensive. And I was like, first, of course, my first reaction is like, excuse me? Like, right? Because that- <laughs> obviously that's what a defensive person would say. And my favorite thing to do is to take that word and look up the opposite. Mm. So I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think the opposite is of defensive? I mean, offensive comes to my mind, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, um, but there's a personality trait. Vulnerable? That's very common. So we Googled it. We got okay. out the Google. It is confidence. Huh. The opposite of defensive is confidence. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So whenever someone's, oh. you know, typically when somebody is, um, you know, kind of getting at us and when we kind of bow up and we want to get defensive, they're hitting that little insecure part of us yeah. that we know is probably true. And we're trying to defend that little part of us that we know is probably deficient or inefficient or whatever that is. And so now whenever I catch myself wanting to get defensive, I'm realizing, ooh, I'm mm. probably like really insecure about that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's that's going to be a little tidbit. Yeah. That's going to be a little <laughs> Instagram blew, short. It, blew my, it just blew my mind. When I looked that up, I was like, what? That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, I also like the, uh, the, the reframe of the um, – uh, the care you said character defects, right? That's just so, so harsh, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 then you called them defense mechanisms, right? It's like in the tech industry, you know, uh, if you if you have a bug, you'd rather call it like an unplanned feature. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, it's not supposed to do that, but you know, you're you're, yeah. you're welcome. I hope that. like when I date somebody, like and like something comes out that they're kind of like a little like, ooh, I don't know about that. Like, oh, that's an unplanned feature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, but I'm know, sticking it out. I'm sticking it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of reframing, that is that is one of the fatal flaws of an Enneagram Seven is that we reframe to a fault, and oh. so you have a hard time dealing with trauma because you reframe it in such a way that you actually never fully deal with it. Interesting. Yeah. I've also. Do you think that that is a, a, a act of being logical? Um. I I I think from a d- defense mechanism standpoint, yeah. I mean, I think that there's some logic that plays into it, but um, I think that you try to logically explain why something happened, right? Right, right. Or, or or say, well, or at least this didn't happen, or you know, kind of uh, you know, shrugging it off. You but, never honor the trauma, right. and where that plays into what it, what that plays into is actually also being emotionally present in a moment because you're always thinking about what's next and reframing mm. oh what what do we have to look forward to mm. and so that can that can play a role also in your your uh it's like avoiding just yeah yeah which i i was reminded of last night when my wife played a song for me by sleeping at last they actually go through uh, that's why i'm stuck on enneagram right now so i was listening yeah. to, to to this this little playlist where they actually made a song for each enneagram number and they're they're all wildly different oh my god it's, this is it's, so funny it's, re- it's really interesting it's it's silly but it's it's cool uh and they've got one about the the seven and, and i'm listening to it and i was like i feel so hurt <laughs> <laughs> so, um, i love that so. that's so funny i feel so hurt so yeah. so so fun fun, fun extra homework <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to again i'm gonna have to like tattoo it on my head or something though because like i said i keep forgetting what i am that will be one right like that's a number if you keep forgetting your number you're this number <laughs> sure yeah i want to kind of 
wind up with a couple questions, right? Um, because you talked about real briefly uh, to about books, right? Um, and you know about uh, books to help others from a career perspective, though. What do you think was the one that probably shaped you the most, or, did, or were there any that stood out for you? Yeah, so I remember seeing this question on the email, and I mean, obviously, I've had like emotional books that I've read that have, you know kind of helped me. Um, uh. I, I think the most impactful book in my life has been the book, The Four Agreements. Mm. And that was actually a really cool story of how I got it. Um, but it's a very simple book that just helps you just navigate life in general. You can read it in a day. You can listen to it. But essentially, the four agreements are to don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. Um, always do your best and use your word impeccably. Um, literally, this bracelet is the four agreements um, on oh, it. That's cool. And, you know, it's really like, you know, don't make assumptions. Like, don't assume anything. A lot of our problems come because we us, we build this whole scenario in our head of, like, why this happened. Yeah. Or uh, we – and then to take things personally, um, we we internalize something. But we instead of being like, now if someone yells at me, I'm like – what's going on today? Are you okay? Mm. You know, and or just noticing that or when I notice that when I'm kind of being nasty to somebody that it's usually because something's not going on right with me at that moment. And then the other one is use your word impeccably. Like, how are you using your word in the world? Mm. You know, like, that's again, like, we have a choice every day to choose what we put into the world. And that's easily done with just our words. You know, are you saying something negative? Are we putting somebody down? Are we putting ourselves down? And the other one is always do your best. And that's when I feel like that's really showing me right now where, you know, I, I think one of my great assets as an entrepreneur is the fact that I'm really hard on myself. I would say one of my defects as an entrepreneur is that I'm really hard on myself. <laughs> um, and so just trying to like, like I talked to somebody the other day and they're like, you're way ahead of the game where you are. And I was like, I don't feel like that at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know and so I remember we met with somebody and she's like I've met with really big brands and she's like you guys are the most put together organized team and I'm like looking up she talked about us like (laughs) because we don't ever feel like that right you know yeah um and so I would say um that always do your best is like the one that's showing up for me so that's a book that's the book that I've also gifted the most um it's cool yeah cool it's really um, good. All right, I'm gonna have to have to check that out. I know it's not the first time I've heard that either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm. I guess. It's a rereader. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like somebody's trying to tell me something. Then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. Uh, all right. Fun. Fun little book question. Oh, and cool. and I got this from a friend, Pat Hazel, who's who's got a, a cool podcast, and he um. I think it's called uh his podcast is called uh creativity and captivity or something i'm i'll, I'll reference it in the, mm. in the notes i'm gonna have a lot of links to share in the notes it's gonna be yeah. insane yeah. okay surprise book question uh because he uses this one and i love it um what is your coma reading material like wh- who if you want somebody to read bedside to you while you're in a coma what would that book be this is it's a lot to process okay so yeah i know <laughs> 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 okay, yeah. if I was bedside in a coma. No, no, you're in a coma and someone's bedside reading to you. Yeah. Right, 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 right. right, right. <laughs> I I feel like that's a really interesting question. I feel like I love biographies and mm. autobiographies. I feel like those are the ones that I just crush through. 
Um, I'm currently trying to read Leonardo da Vinci's uh, autobiography. Wait, biography. Which one's the one where someone's writing it about somebody? It's the biography. Because auto would be. I'm doing it right. You're writing your own biography. Got it. It's I, a. I don't know. Someone's gonna fact check me. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like when you look at there's like those one things in life you never know which like you always confuse them. Um, I yes. think biography is when someone writes it about you. So it's a biography <laughs> of uh, Leonardo da Vinci, and it's just so. I would say that would be the book that I would ask them to read to me. Okay. It's because it's. I love it because it's so historical, and he's such an interesting person. And I've already been like relating to him a lot and how he is as a person. And you know, I think as entrepreneurs, we always think that like we're kind of messed up, and then we like read about another person like that, and we're like, oh, we're we're okay. Mm. Like you know, we're just a weird breed. Yeah. Um. But that one. It, plus, also, I I'd love someone to read it to me because it's like this thick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, That's so cool. Bruno and Nicoma is the perfect time just to knock that one out. Yeah, there so. you go. There you go. <laughs> no, I, I love the question because it's it's you know what what are the things that what are the things that you wouldn't mind hearing over and over that might shape who you are or how you're different when you wake up. Basically, that's the implication. I think. I don't know. I, he never really gave me an explanation as why I was he asked that question. About it from a logical it. explanation of like just like oh I, I I can't sit down and read this whole book, so I might as well get it done while I'm in a coma. Yeah, you know, <laughs> see, that's that's a great reason to have parameters around the question. You know, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, any are there any uh, final thoughts? Uh, we, we've covered a lot today. Yeah, um, uh, it's a surprising amount. Uh, you know, anywhere from from product to sustainability to mission to uh, personal story to mentorship. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add, or that would like to just recap? And uh, if not, that's okay. Yes. Um, I would absolutely say that, like I said, free will power gloss is for anybody, man, woman, no matter your gender, race, like power gloss is designed to be for the every human. Um, so just give it a go. Try it. I mean, even if you hate it, 1% of your purchase is going to go to help survivors, but I'm pretty sure you'll love it. How I always like to end everything that I do on a public platform is that I, I always want to extend a hand. So if anybody out there is going through a hard time or has been sexually assaulted, they've never gotten help or maybe they tried to get help. They've never said it out loud. Um, they've never taken that step to like getting help. Then you can just simply uh, write us on Instagram or you can email me. It's shandy at livefreewell.com. Um, I will always be of service to help another survivor next to me and help give you resources. I am available. So. That's that's awesome. Thank you so much, Shandy. Uh, I really appreciate your time, your your insight, just the service you provide to the community around you. You know, I heard great things before, before we ever met. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, again, when you get the chance, go to livefreewell.com. Take a look at uh, the products, the mission, uh, and and get connected. And and I just encourage you to reconsider the way that you purchase products like that. Yeah, you know, around around a real mission, around real sustainability, around real results. Shani, thank you. Evan, thank you so, so much. You crushed your first podcast. I'm going to tell you, you did a great job. I could talk to you all day. This was so fun. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful and honored that you gave me the opportunity to share my story and free well story. And um, I think you're doing some amazing things. So thank you, Shandy. Well, it was, it was a pleasure. It was an honor. And I uh, really look forward to uh, hopefully future interviews. Too. I would love that. All right. Thank you, Evan. Thanks, Shandy. This is successor.